All right, you ready to enjoy God's Word together this morning? Well, if you are, then I'll ask you to take your Bible and turn with me into the Old Testament, into the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1 this morning, more toward the front of your Bible. 1 Samuel, chapter 1, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and, and we'll be sure to put one in your hand. So if somebody could do that, Ron, could you possibly get some Bibles going? There we go, all right. And there is a note page in your bulletin. Uh, if, if you don't know this part of the drill, then we'll just invite you to pull that out, and you will have that. And church family, here we are on the Sunday before we step into a brand new year, 2015. Are you ready? <laughs> well, not a lot of enthusiasm for that thought, you know. <laughs> yeah, the light of the old year is flickering, and it'll soon be out. And we're all wondering, what will the new year hold for you and your family, your loved ones, your friends, your church, our nation, our world? We do not know. None of us knows. We don't get that crystal ball. We don't get to look around the corner and see into tomorrow. In fact, we don't even get to look into the next hour, do we? Yeah, we're pretty much blind We hope that there will be much good and joy and happiness, lots of love given and received in the coming year, dreams realized and goals accomplished, relationships begun or nurtured, and and, uh, perhaps new lives brought into this world in in our church family and through children and eternal life experienced by many. I mean, these are hopes we have for the coming year. But we know, because we've all lived long enough to know, we know that in our world, Sinful and fallen as it is, 2015 will not be all joy and happiness and good things, right? We know that even as we go in. Job chapter 5 verse 7 so honestly speaks these words, Mankind is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly up from a fire, right? We wish that weren't true, but it is true. Within the folds of the 365 days that will be 2015, every one of us in this room is going to know some trouble. We just know that. Some more than others, but no one gets left out. It's a fallen world. Some of this trouble that we will experience, we will bring on ourselves, unfortunately. No one else to blame but ourselves perhaps by our stubbornness, our foolishness, maybe our ignorance. But some of the trouble will catch us completely off guard. It will blindside us. We wouldn't have seen it coming, couldn't have stopped it if we had tried. We all know that we will experience some trouble as surely as the sparks fly up from a fire. And some of you are thinking, man, what a great way to begin the morning message, Tim. It's such an uplifting thought. Well, brothers and sisters, I could tell you that Uh, For you, in 2015, it'll be nothing but roses and butterflies and birds chirping happy little songs all day long, but you would know that it's not true, right? You would know that. As I said, you've lived long enough to know that's not true. I would much rather remind us of what we know and then consider together how we can confidently step into a new year filled with lots that's going to be really fantastic, but also a year that will be peppered here and there for each one of us with things that aren't fantastic. Sad stuff, hard stuff, troubling stuff, losses, hurts, disappointments, 
hope stealers and fear producers. How do we step into 2015 as God's people with confidence, with assurance, with boldness, with a peace that the world or circumstances or people can't take away? How do we step into this new year with that? Well, perhaps part of the answer to that question lies in us carrying the names of God that we have been studying for the past few months into this new year with us. I would like to propose that as one way of entering into an unknown year with great confidence. Take the names of God with you into the new year. If you've not been with us, we've been sharing a series on the names of God called God Also Known As. You see that there in the title of that little note page that you have. And we've been exploring just some of the many, many names that God goes by in Scripture. By some counts, more than a hundred different names. Names that reveal God's nature and His character and and, uh, His activity in wonderful, beautiful, powerful ways. If you flip that little note page over and you look at the back near the bottom, you will see a list of the names that we have shared together so far in this series. Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, Yahweh Ra, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Jireh, Elkanah, and Emmanuel, my God who is always with me. Names that we just sang in that song a moment ago. I love that song. Nine names brothers and sisters, that we can draw strength from in the midst of life's toughest stuff. And that is in part why God gives us these names. Not only so we can know him better, but so that we can use those names whenever we want and call upon God by these names in life's tough places. Today I'm excited to share another of God's names with us. And this one, to me, is perfectly suited to be unveiled on this Sunday before a brand new year. It's the name Yahweh Sabaoth. Sometimes Yahweh Sabah, you will hear that. But whether it's Sabaoth or it's Sabah, it is a name that means the Lord of Heaven's armies fights for me. I love that thought going into a brand new year, don't you? That the Lord of heaven's armies fights for me? Church, I can't think of a better name for a new year than Yahweh Sabaoth. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We ask you to open our eyes and and, uh, quicken our minds and uh, prepare our hearts to share this name together and to see you in a new and more full and rich way that will help us to live well in the coming year. And we all say to that, amen and amen. Yahweh Sabaoth. It's not a name that we hear a lot, even though it is used in Scripture, in the Old Testament primarily, uh, more than 270 times God uses this name. And depending on which version of the Bible that you are carrying today, you'll find this name rendered The Hebrew name Yahweh Sabaoth will be rendered into English in your Bible as the Lord Almighty. And so if you're carrying a new international version, an NIV version this morning, that's how you're going to read this name, the Lord Almighty. 
Or you'll read it as the Lord of hosts if you're carrying a King James Version or a New American Standard or maybe an English Standard Version. Today we use this word host to refer to a large number, a great quantity, a multitude. If I were to say, for example, I have a host of options before me, you would understand what I was saying, right? You would know that I was saying I have many possible choices that I could make in this moment, a host. But in scripture, this word sabayoth or sabah, which we render as the word host, was the word used to refer to a vast number of warriors, soldiers. The Hebrew words sabah or sabayoth mean army. We're talking about an army. When God takes this word and he incorporates it into one of his names, Sabah or Sabaoth are referring to the heavenly armies, all the forces in the heavenly realm. In other words, all of the angels who serve God in heaven, they are his army and he is Lord over them. And so with this name, Yahweh, our personal relational promise-keeping God, as we learned about that name, is proclaiming his absolute unmatched authority as the supreme commander-in-chief of all the armies of heavenly beings, the angels, the angel armies who are poised and ready to do whatever he says, go wherever he tells them to go and do whatever he tells them to do. The one who commands heaven's armies is great. He is awesome. He's to be feared and to be revered. He's in control. And this name screams that, the God who's in control. You know, the President of the United States is, by law, our commander-in-chief in the earthly realm. He commands an army too, doesn't he? You know how many people he commands in our armed forces today? About half a million 500,000 military personnel currently serve in our armed forces. That's a lot, isn't it? Half a million. That's, the, that's a lot of soldiers. The Russian army, about 320,000 current active soldiers serving. The Chinese, though, they've got us all beat. One and a half million soldiers in the army. It's the largest army in the world right now. So maybe a question to ask is, how do these numbers compare with the numbers of angels that are in God's army? Did you ever ponder that thought? How about this verse? Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 says this. John is, is experiencing an amazing vision. He looks into heaven and he, he sees the future in Revelation, the book of Revelation. And in 5.11, as he's looking into heaven, he says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne, the throne of God and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Does anybody in the room know what a myriad is? That's all we can say. That's exactly right, Terry. It's just a lot. Because we don't know what myriad actually would refer to. In Job chapter 25, verse 3, the question is asked, is there any number to God's armies? And, and we would just get from that that this must be a huge army. It's, it's, is there a number for it? And we think about the night that uh, Jesus was making his way to the cross, and he's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion, and the soldiers come 
to arrest him. And do you remember Peter? Peter the fisherman? He pulls out a sword and he's going he's gonna to go to battle for the Lord Jesus and he's going to split the skull of this guy. But he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. And he misses and cuts off that guy's ear. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. How would you like to have Peter fighting for you? It just doesn't work real well that way. But Jesus heals this man. And then he says to Peter these words in Matthew 26, 53. Peter, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know how many are in a legion? About 6,000. So 12 times 6,000, what is that? 72,000. 72,000 angels. Jesus says I can call on them and they would come down right this moment and defend me if I want that. But, of course, he didn't want that. He was going to go to the cross and pay our sin debt, wasn't he? He was going to die in our place, pay our sin debt, and rise from the dead three days later. And we praise him for that. Yeah. 72,000, that's a lot. But here's an Old Testament passage that that maybe you've not really thought of before. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Here's what we learn about the angels in heaven. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. That's a reference to God. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. What's ten thousand times ten thousand? That's one hundred million. Somebody's really good with math here in this moment. That's 100 million angels. At least. At least. They may not be the final number of angels in God's service, but it is a way, it is way, way more than, num- than the number of all the armies of all the nations in all of the world right now. You could put them all together and it'd be a drop in the bucket compared to the army that our God is commanding right now an army of 100 million angels ready to do whatever god says whenever and wherever he commands him yahweh sabah yahweh sabayoth the lord of the angel armies do you like that name i like that thought of the 279 times this name appears in the old testament it's used most frequently by God's people when they're in really difficult places, deep trouble. Uh, They have no chance unless God steps in and fights for them. This is a name that God wants us to know him by, brothers and sisters. This is a name he wants us to call him by and relate to him with. He wants us to use this name. Brothers and sisters, when we... We truly understand this name of God and and what it means for us in relationship with him. I don't think you will you will see your God quite the same again when you know him by this name. I don't think you will view your circumstances in this fallen world quite the same way again when you know this name. It's a great name for us. For a new year. That has an unknown future. For each one of us. He has unlimited power. Unbridled might. Unquestioned authority. Untarnished glory. 
and he commands an army of at least a hundred million angels. That's cool. I like that. The Old Testament prophet Amos tried to capture a sense of the supremeness of God's authority in this name when he writes these words. Amos 4.13, there at the top of your little study page as well. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, our creator God, is that's Elohim, and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, who is that? Yahweh Sabaoth, yes. Yahweh Sabaoth is his name. This is the God that you and I know. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 1800s, once declared from his pulpit in London, when we are on the side of the Lord of hosts, woe unto those who fight against him. For they shall flee like smoke before the wind when he gives the word to scatter them. (laughs) I like that thought too. This is a name God gives us to use. Yahweh Sabaoth when, brothers and sisters, we're in deep weeds. Or as, as someone put it, when you're hip deep in alligators and there's no way to drain the swamp. This is the name that you want. One writer refers to this as the name when God's people's backs are up against the wall. You call on this name. Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander of the hosts of heaven. It's an old name for a new year. With the time we have left, let's let's take a quick look at just three moments from Scripture when this beautiful name comes up in the lives of people whose backs are against the wall, who really need this name. These moments will help us to see this name in action, in its context, and hopefully show us how we can learn to call on our God by this name as well. So they're going to model for us this name and its use in various circumstances. And all of us may find ourselves at some point in the coming year in these places that we are going to share together. Now, your Bible is open to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Everybody there with me? Okay. Now, this chapter is where we read the name Lord of the Angel Armies, Yahweh Sabaoth, for the very first time. It shows up here in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. And interestingly, at least it's interesting to me, that this name shows up for the very first time in the context of not a great battle, where God's people, Israel, are are fighting, but rather it shows up in a a much quieter context, a a much different moment. It appears for the first time in the life and words of a godly woman by the name of Hannah. And it is the name that she cries out, Yahweh Sabaoth, in a time in her life when she feels alone and empty and without any hope. Her circumstances and story are known well by many of us. But just in case you don't know, uh, she lives in a time of spiritual apathy in Israel. Love for God has grown cold amongst the people of Israel at this point, And most, for, the, for their part, are just self-absorbed. They have little interest, little regard for God. And the nation desperately needs a strong spiritual leader right now, but there are none. 
It's, it's, it's a nation that is leaderless, really. But Hannah is an exception to the people of her time in terms of, of their apathy. She has a heart for God. She seeks after God. She's careful to worship him appropriately and consistently. And yet Hannah is a woman who carries within her heart a great sadness, a great emptiness. She's unable to have children, and she wants children. She wants children more than anything else in the world. It's what she longs for. And so if today perhaps you have a dream, you, you have a desire, you have a longing, something that you hope for in the deepest part of who you are, and it's been there for a long, long time, but nothing ever seems to change, and, and you're no, no closer, no nearer to realizing that dream or that desire, then you can relate to Hannah this morning. Her longing was for a child. Yours may be something very different, but the feeling would be the same. An unrealized longing, a, a deep desire accompanied by, by sadness and disappointment and, and really a, a no hope. For Hannah, the longing and emptiness have, have been there in her life for literally years. Her tears at this point are beyond counting. Here in chapter 1, she is hurting so deeply, we're told, that she has stopped eating. That's how deep is her hurt, her longing. Have you ever been so sad that you stopped eating? Well, that's Hannah in this moment. Hannah's back was against the wall, and she needed God to go to battle for her. She's broken. And so she takes her request to Yahweh Sabaoth. Interesting, isn't it? This would be her name for God. Verse 10, chapter 1. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. And if you notice in your Bible, that word Lord is in all caps, isn't it? All uppercase letters. That tells you that it's what name? That's Yahweh, right? That's, that's how you know. Every time you see that word LORD, all caps, that's, that's the name Yahweh, which we've looked at before. She's deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, Yahweh, what? Sabaoth. O Lord of hosts, Lord of the angel armies, Lord of the, of the 100 million plus, if you will indeed look on the infliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, she says. She needed in this moment the God who commands heaven's armies. The God who has that kind of power, that kind of authority, that mighty, supreme, sovereign God, Yahweh Sabaoth. He has powers over the armies of heaven. Surely he has power over my life, over my womb, she is saying. She's at the end of her rope. Verse 19 says this, And the Lord... Yahweh remembered her, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. That's what Samuel's name means. Who can possibly know 
Who can begin to understand the joy that leaped from Hannah's heart when she discovered what Yahweh Sabaoth had done in her life? Not only does God come to, to Hannah's hurt, but because he's, he's never just working on one level at, at, as he's doing whatever he's doing. He's always doing multiple things all at the same time. He's going to address not only her barrenness, her longing for a son, but he's going to address the barrenness of the whole nation. They need a leader, right? Well, guess who the leader's going to be? The leader's going to be Samuel. And so she holds true to her vow, if you know the story, her promise. And when Samuel is still but a toddler, she gives him to the service of God to be cared for by the priests. In time, Samuel grows into manhood. He becomes this spiritual leader, the prophet that Israel needs but does not have. And so her cry becomes the answer to the needs of the nation as well as her own longing heart. And if we were to read on into chapter 2, God then gives Hannah three more sons and two more daughters, turning her great sorrow in those early days into an unspeakable joy. Brothers and sisters, remembering Hannah's story and her calling upon this name in a time of desperation and hopelessness, that may serve you, that may serve me well in a new year that we don't know what it holds. May we remember this name, Yahweh Sabaoth. Well, the next moment we want to take a look at keeps us in the book of 1 Samuel. This time, though, chapter 17. If you'll run to the right just a little ways, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Follow me there, if you would. And this time, the name Yahweh Sabaoth will be spoken in the context of that I thought it would be for the first time, and that is in the context of a great military battle, a battle so well known that even those who have no faith in God and have never attended church know about this battle, right? Here we see Yahweh Sabaoth in a time when we feel outmatched, unqualified, and too small for the task at hand. And I love that picture. Without words, it says how we sometimes feel, right? Right? It's, it's, it's a perfect David and Goliath moment, and that's exactly what we have here in 1 Samuel 17, where we read about the account of David and Goliath. And such a, since it's such a well-known Bible moment, we'll simply do a quick flyover of most of the story and get to the pivotal moment of the story. The Philistines, if you remember, were the arch enemies of Israel at this time, and they've gathered for war in the Valley of Elah, to take on God's people. And, and the Philistines have a champion warrior by the name of Goliath, who is about nine and a half feet tall, way taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. He's decked out in body armor that weighs 125 pounds, just the armor that he's wearing. And he's, he's armed with a javelin. He's got a sword on his side and a shield. He needs a guy just to carry his shield around. And this mammoth man is challenging Israel to send out their best warrior to fight him one-on-one. -on -one. Mano y mano, winner takes all. And he's, he's issuing this challenge to fight him, all the while crying out great blasphemies against God, against Elohim, Israel's God. And this taunting goes on twice a day, morning and evening, for 40 days. 
Each time the Israelites heard Goliath's voice, verse 24 says, they all ran away from him in great fear. They're terrified. In the ranks of Israel, every man felt they were outmatched. They were outgunned, too small for this great challenge. Well, along comes David. Who's David? Well, David's a, he's a teenage shepherd boy. He's not a soldier. He's not a warrior. He shows up and he, he questions why the Philistine is allowed to keep taunting the people of God, the army of God, like this. And the answer that he hears is, well, Goliath's too much for us. We don't have a chance against him. He, he'd squash us like a bug. Well, you know the story. David volunteers to go out and meet the giant. King Saul, realizing he's got no other options, nobody else is lining up to do this, he lets David go. Now, David has taken out a bear and he's taken out a lion with his sling when he was shepherding sheep. So he's got a little bit of experience going up against kind of big odds. And so he meets Goliath armed with just his sling, the same sling he used with the bear and the lion. We pick up the story at verse 41. Here's where you would join me in your Bible. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of what? Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now there's a guy with confidence. Yeah? You know, in David's eyes, God is the giant and Goliath is the dog, right? The Lord's powerful presence was more real to David than Goliath, though Goliath was the one standing there in front of him physically. Yahweh Sabaoth. David was so confident in this God who goes by this name as the commander of the armies of heaven that he says in verse 48, it says in verse 48 that he ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He doesn't wait for Goliath to come to him. He goes out to meet him. And with one stone in his sling, as you know, he drops this giant and kills him. Now, church family, in the coming year, giants will most certainly come out to meet you. Agreed? You bet they will. And they will they will look big and they will look intimidating and they won't look like Goliath probably, but they may take the form of a person or maybe the giant that meets you will be some 
unexpected loss, uh, an unexpected diagnosis when you go to the doctors or some fear, maybe some, some spiritual crisis that you will be in. Maybe it will be some tragic thing that, that you could never have foreseen coming and that will be the giant. Who knows what it will be? But big and intimidating, they will come. Yet because God's name is Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of the angel armies, let's measure these giants that are going to come against us, not against ourselves, but against who? Against him, right? Against him. He's got, a, he's got in his command at least a hundred million angels, right? That's why David will write in Psalm 3, verse 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Why, David? Because my God is Yahweh Sabaoth. That's confidence. I like that. I like knowing that. That ought to give you and I a little bit of ammunition for the year ahead, right? Knowing this name. And and I would just encourage you to verbalize your confidence, just like David does here in verse 45. You say this name out loud when, when that giant stands on the field in your life. Say that name out loud. Yahweh Sabaoth. Let's practice. Yahweh Sabaoth. Say that name out loud and... As you stand before that giant, it will help you to make that, that name real for yourself, but you will honor God just as David did when he shouted that name. Remember who you are, brother, sister. You're the blood-bought child of God, the son or daughter of the king, the commander and chief of the armies of heaven fights for you. Scripture says God never changes, right? Never changes. So the God that we see in 1 Samuel 17 hasn't changed, which means that he's the same God in your life and mine today. Yes? Yes. What a name. Glad we have that name for a new year. He goes to battle then for us when we feel barren and alone and broken and empty and without hope. He takes up our fight when we feel outmatched and outgunned and outqualified and small and all of that. We could call on many other moments out of Scripture where Yahweh Sabaoth and this name show up. We could take a look at the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel in in 1 Kings 18, wherein he battles the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? We could go there. We would find this name there. We could take a moment out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, where Elisha uh, calls on this name when he confronts the wicked behavior of the king of Israel. Well, that would have gotten him killed, but he called on the name of Yahweh Sabaoth. We could turn to the book of Isaiah, where 49 times this name shows up. Or we could go into the book of Jeremiah, where this name shows up 70 times in the life of Israel in desperate, dark moments. We've got lots of places we could go. But let us turn to just one more moment when Yahweh Sabaoth's great name is front and center and needed for those times, church family, when we feel frustrated, unfruitful, 
like we're trying really hard, but we're getting nowhere. For this last truth, would you follow me to the book of Haggai, Old Testament book of Haggai, and it's probably going to be in a place where the pages of your Bible are kind of stuck together. (laughs) We don't do a lot of our devotional time in in, uh, the minor prophets, but if you could go to Haggai, and if this helps you, it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Does that work? All right, great. Or if that doesn't work, it's page 1042 in my Bible. Does that help you? No? Okay. All right, Haggai chapter 1. Now here's the context. Here's the setting. God's people have just returned from a terrible chapter in their history, a time of being slaves and captives in a foreign nation, Babylon. Now God has supernaturally worked so that the Israelites get to come back to their homeland. The people are excited to be back in the land of their ancestors, and we'd like to think that they had learned from what their ancestors had experienced. Their ancestors, their parents, and their grandparents, and their great-grandparents had forgotten all about God and were totally focused on themselves and had, had just pushed God out of their lives. And so God, in a, in a moment of discipline of the nation, allowed foreign armies to come in, conquer them, and carry them away as slaves into Babylon. Everybody in the book of Haggai was born as a slave in Babylon. And God has rescued them and brought them back to their own land. And and we would hope that they had learned from their parents' mistakes about how foolish it is to, to push God out of your life and just focus on yourself. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Now this returning generation is making the very same mistake as their parents and their grandparents, making God an, kind of an afterthought instead of their very first thought. And so God sends Haggai to call them out. He's grieved. God is offended by their dull hearts and their irreverence. And, and, and rather than putting God first in their personal and community life, he's been shoved off to the sidelines. We pick things up at verse 2, chapter 1. God says through his prophet, thus says the, what's the next phrase? The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. Now God is calling himself by this name. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house My house, God asks, lies in ruin? In other words, God's temple, the place of their centralized worship, has been ignored and and, and God's holy name is being profaned uh, by the choices the people are making. He should be the first and best focus of their lives, but but he's been demoted, pushed off to the sidelines. And so so God says to his people, verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, Consider your ways. Consider what you're doing, Israel. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What God is saying is that because the people have not put him first, he has not blessed all of their efforts. He has withheld his blessing upon their lives. 
and they are impoverished. Verse 7, thus says what? The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Build the temple. It should be your first project. You looked for much, verse 9, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Pretty strong words, huh? Yeah. Brothers and sisters, what is this moment telling us? Is this not a warning for us at the very least? The God of the angel armies, Yahweh Sabaoth, will go to battle for you and me when our back is against the wall, when we have lost all hope and we're outnumbered and we're outmatched. He will go to battle for us. He's Yahweh Sabaoth. But he will also marshal his powers against us, frustrate our efforts, make us unfruitful, and let us spin our wheels faster and faster and faster and go nowhere if we're not putting him first in our lives. Is that not what this is saying? Yahweh Sabaoth. It's a name that carries great positive truth for us, but it also has this other side that we don't want to miss. Does he do this to his people Israel because he's mean-spirited and he doesn't care about them? No. He does this because he's God and he's worthy to be first, right? And he does this because he loves his people. He does this to, to get their attention. He does this for his glory and for their ultimate good. If perhaps it seems to you like you've been chasing your dreams and, and everything just kind of vaporizes before your eyes and, and you make money and only to find it kind of flow through your whole, your, your pockets with holes in it. And, and if you feel like no matter how hard you try, it, it, it's never enough. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies of heaven, may be knocking the props out from underneath your life in order to get your attention. It's what he was doing in Israel. And he hasn't changed. It may be what he's doing in your life. He will be God in our life, yes? He doesn't share his glory. He doesn't share his worship or his allegiance with anything or anyone else. Until we say in our hearts and, and then back that up with our actions, Yahweh Sabaoth, you are my first and my best pursuit and I trust you and I honor you with my first and the best in my life. Until we say that, we may well experience exactly what Israel experiences here. We may continue to feel frustrated and unfruitful and stuck. Not because God's mean, but because God loves. He loves us too much to foster or encourage the lie that we can live without Him at the center of our life. Through Haggai, God is lovingly saying, Surrender to me, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. And I will bless you in my time.
Yahweh Sabayoth. An old name for a new year. Yeah? Yeah. It's the name God wants us to cry out when life happens and we feel alone and empty and without hope. It's the name he wants us to cry out when we feel outmatched and puny and powerless and small. And it is the name he wants us to cry out when we have let other things become more important than they should be. May 2015 be an amazing year for you, for me, for our church family. Not because it'll be a year without trouble, but because it'll be a year with Yahweh Sabaoth. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, could that be, would that be true for us? Yahweh Sabaoth. A great year. A great, great year. Filled with much that is wonderful, but some that will be hard. But you, going with us all the way, bearing this great, great name. May those around us know by the way that we live, the way we talk, the way we act, that you are Yahweh Sabaoth in our lives. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, amen.